rise and shine. Rise and shine, chop chop. Rise and shine. Rise and shine, it's a beautiful day. Rise and shine, rise and shine. Rise and shine. Rise and shine. You guys are nerds. This is exactly what the nerds want. Our name shall become legend. Spoken in hushed tones by nerds across the galaxy. If you build it, nerds will come. Nerds must love this place. They think we're a bunch of nerds, and I'll tell you something. I think they're right. Let, let the nerds take over. Let the nerds take over! Rise and shine, nerds. Grab your coffee, wipe the sleep from your eyes, and turn up the volume as we help kick off your day with Love Thy Nerds' official morning show here on YouTube and LTN Radio. I'm Radio Matt. I'm the Director of Content and Resources for Love Thy Nerd. Really? You're going to give this to me? <laughs> and I'm Deidre. <laughs> as I am known in Klingon, Deha Ka'a. <laughs> That's the merciless. <laughs> I spelled it it phonetically for you. I need to read these ahead of time. (laughs) They're a surprise to me, if you can't tell. (laughs) This week, we're talking about all things Star Trek. Today, we'll put our focus on the late 80s through the early 2000s in Star Trek TV. But first, we've got a few stories today in Rise and Shine, Nerds News. This is RSNN. Let's talk about robo taxis. Fun. Uh, <laughs> this, this one's a little spicy, uh, so I'm gonna have to censor it as we read it a oh, little. Dear. Some people are having no relations no. in San Francisco's oh. robo taxis. Oh my gosh. Just wait till you get to your destination. (laughs) San Francisco standard. As autonomous vehicles become increasingly popular in San Francisco, some riders are wondering just how far they can push the vehicle's limits, especially with no front seat driver or chaperone to discourage them from questionable behavior. The standard has spoken to four separate cruise car riders who said they've had relations in the driverless vehicles in San Francisco over recent months and have had provide, <laughs> provided ride receipts to show that they did use these vehicles. The Standard was unable to find a source uh, who said that they had relations in the other company, the Waymo company. Uh, but the rules and regulations surrounding robo-taxis are murky, largely because the industry is so new. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. for the uh, debaucherous among us, Robo-taxi companies currently use pretty extensive camera surveillance inside and outside mm-hmm, their cars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Cruise states on its website, we record video inside of the car for added safety and support. When asked, both Cruise and Waymo sidestep commenting directly on what is and isn't allowed in their cars. <laughs> so somebody was watching you. Just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, that's happening. It's gross. Oh, gracious. I mean, we all stayed at hotels, but at least they wash the sheets. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Next topic, please. (laughs) Let's talk about game modding. (laughs) Rockstar Games acquires modding team that it previously banned. 
2015, uh, popular Grand Theft Auto V mod 5M was banned by Rockstar after the gaming giant alleged that 5M's work contains code designed to facilitate piracy. Eight years later, Rockstar is taking a decidedly different tone and announcing that CFX.re, the mod team behind 5M, and a similar mod for Red Dead Redemption 2 is now officially a part of Rockstar Games. With no apparent sense of irony, this comes from ARS Technica, by the way, Rockstar said in a Friday blog post announcing the acquisition that it had watched with excitement as Rockstar's creative community had found new ways to expand the possibilities of GTA V and Red Dead Redemption 2, particularly through the creation of dedicated roleplay servers. But the statement ignores the distinct lack of excitement Rockstar exhibited when it barred the Rockstar Social Club accounts from many 5M modders and others associated with promoting the project back in 2015. Our policy on such violations of our terms of service are clear, and the individuals involved in its creation have had a had their Social Club accounts suspended, the company said at the time. Um, hmm. I can see this from both angles. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you have created something that is 100% your company's intellectual property. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have created it as a form of artwork. Like this is our story that we're telling. This is our game that you're playing. You're playing it the way that we have created it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I look at things. Our our sons right now are Mm -hmm. addicted Mm -hmm. to a YouTube streamer named Sunday. Two S's at the beginning. And... Most of the videos that he he plays with his team are ex heavily modded mm-hmm. versions mm-hmm. of Among Us. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that there were some mods of Among Us before. We had the the uh, Town of Us mod that allowed you to have the different like roles early on before they added some of them to the game um, initially. So you could be sheriff, you could be all these other things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then there was the group behind the submerged map that they had created their uh, their own i think it was five ups team created their own uh underwater map that had like two levels elevators and things that like, was really cool uh we got to play that a couple times at ltn before uh it went under <laughs> like these <laughs> <No> ironically <fun. laughs> uh but these these were really really neat Mods mm-hmm. that encouraged, excited us, wanted us, want it lengthened the life of the game mm-hmm. for a lot of people mm-hmm. because playing the same game over and over again, especially when it's like a community based game that you're playing every week, it does kind of get old mm-hmm. after a while. And so, having those mods available, especially like streamers, that became a way to extend the game and it even influenced the game itself as like, right, we're adding more roles. So they officially added some more roles to the game. It got ideas from, yeah, it got better. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really wish though that, uh, inner sloth behind among us had went and bought the rights or bought the, the game out for submerged and added that to their game because it works so well. Uh, and that's essentially kind of what Grand Theft Auto is doing here. Or, well, uh, the Rockstar is doing here for GTA Five is that they're like, all right, y'all have made some cool things. We're going to buy it now. It's going to be a part of our game. Mm-hmm. That's a smart move because mm-hmm. it's giving you the opportunity to extend this. But like this Sunday, as we were talking about, they've got 
ridiculous mods mm-hmm. on Among Us. With it, it changes the whole world. There's a several different just bonkers roles mm-hmm. or objectives and mini games and all this kind of stuff. Like it's essentially almost its own separate game each time, a different thing. Yep. And there's dozens of these that we've seen yeah. so far. Yeah. Lots and it, of them. And that doesn't happen without the base game. Yeah. You can't play any of those without having the base game of among us. And so it's extending the life of your game, even if it's not exactly how you originally created it. Mm-hmm. And so a modding, you know, modding communities in, in, um, are doing exactly what it says here. They're, they're building their own huge communities based around loving your original game and wanting to do more with it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that should be necessarily discouraged, especially when it's games that can be so widely community focused. Right. Like right. I, like it kind of reminds me of, Back with the NES, Super NES, Nintendo 64, the Game Sharks or the Game Genies, the cheating things. And you put your, it was a peripheral, mm-hmm. like its own little cartridge. You'd stick your cartridge in the top of it and then stick the Game Genie or the Game Shark cartridge into your system. And so it unlocked like all these cheats or options. Oh. I remember for GoldenEye, the Game Shark would open up some of the multiplayer maps that you were on, like they cut off some of the level. So you'd just be in like a circle. It would make it kind of more of a circle for the original level. And so this would allow you to open up the entire map Hmm. uh, for the levels that you're playing on, which was really cool. Um, It's those little cheats make the game so much different. But for those, those were, mainly for in-house like that's you right and so right. i could see people be like well no i don't want you to just buy the game and then get a game genie and cheat and have invincibility or whatever you're taking all the art out of the game but for the community that's that's building a a a fandom around your game mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. which i think is something that you would want as a company so this is the right move in my opinion as opposed to what they did in 2015 where they were just like, hey, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Don't use our stuff. It's our stuff. <laughs> That'd be like, you know, a very basic way to think of it is like a company that sells an on the shelf product for use of this purpose and you find another use for it. And they're like, no, that's not why I made that. You're not allowed to use that for this other thing. You buy a toaster <laughs> and you put a grilled cheese sandwich in it. And you're like, hey, I didn't make this for grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> you're banned from using our toaster. <laughs> you know, we're all unique and we're going to come up with cool, inventive things. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's talk about NFTs. <clears throat> Um, what are those? NFTs, the non-fungible tokens, the little pictures that people would buy on the internet for hundreds of thousands of dollars just to claim that they owned it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know that happened. Sorry. <laughs> what? You missed that entire thing? Don't you work in the sector? Here. Let me pull up Board Ape Club. That's one of the most popular. It's, okay. Board so Ape it's like Club. some sort of Bitcoin it's it's similar you buy them with bitcoin this is what some of them look like 
and you buy it and you own that one. You know? It's still online. People could still steal it and do whatever they want with it, but you own it. That's stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mo and sorry. I did Mo and I did a whole week on NFTs and by the end of the week we still knew nothing about <laughs> NFTs <laughs> other than we don't get it. We don't get why people are doing this. It's cyber it, currency. <laughs> so this also okay. comes from ARS Technica. <laughs> uh it says buyers of board ape NFTs sue after digital apes turn out to be a bad investment. So <laughs> when Mo and I did the week on NFTs, Board Ape Yacht Club was like the top. Like this was the one that everyone's like, this is if you're gonna get one, this is the one to get, but they're expensive. But there were hundreds of thousands of different brands of NFTs. One of the stupider ones that I remember was just like it was a bunch of 16-bit sneakers just a picture of a sneak like a 16-bit sneaker with different colors and that's what yours you, you get you get your own sneaker <clears throat> some of them were so and 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 a bunch of people got into a bunch of like big companies got into them. nickelodeon had gotten into them and were producing NFTs based on their characters, but mm -hmm. then they would make like weird ones that were like crossovers between like a SpongeBob and a and a Hey Arnold character mixed together, and that one was worth you know five thousand dollars. So they're like <laughs> uh, they're like electronic playing cards, kind of. <laughs> you know that would get, make me that would make more sense to me. But I don't see how, because it's still not a real thing. <laughs> right. You're not holding on to a real thing. Yeah. The Sotheby's auction house has been named as a defendant in a lawsuit filed by the investors who regret buying board ape yacht clubs and FTs that sold for highly inflated prices during the NFT craze in 2021. A Sotheby's auction uh, duped investors in giving the board ape NFTs an air of legitimacy to generate investors' interest and hype around the board ape brand. Class action lawsuit claims the boost of board ape NFT prices provided an auction was rooted uh, in deception. Uh, said the lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court in the Central District of California. It wasn't revealed at the time of the auction that the buyer was the now disgraced FTX, the lawsuit said, uh, cryptocurrency that massively went under. Mm -hmm. Sotheby's representations um, that the undisclosed buyer was a traditional collector had misleadingly created the impression that the market for the Board 8 Yacht Club NFTs had crossed over to a mainstream audience, the lawsuit claimed. Lawsuit plaintiffs say that harmed investors uh, bought the NFTs with a reasonable expectation of profit from owning them. Sotheby's sold a lot of 101 Board Ape NFTs for two, well, no, sorry, $24.4 million at its Ape In auction in September 2021, well above the pre-auction estimates of $12 million to $18 million. That's the average price of, that's an average price of over $241,000 per NFT. Wow. But Board Ape NFTs now sell for a floor price of about $50,000 worth uh, worth of either cryptocurrency, Ether, sorry, worth of Ether cryptocurrency, uh, according to CoinGecko data. Uh, the the amended lawsuit alleges that Board Ape creator Yuga Labs colluded with the fine arts broker, uh, defendant Sotheby's, to run a deceptive auction. 
<sighs> wow. So it was, I think, the tail end of 2021 when we originally did this, or early 2022, talked about it. I mean, we were desperate to do things. <laughs> we were all stuck at home. Well, <laughs> what, what screwed everything up with like the digital cryptocurrency junk mm-hmm. was the fact that Bitcoin did go crazy at one point. Mm-hmm. People were mining Bitcoin and mm-hmm. it was worth nothing. And then one day, a Bitcoin was worth like $10,000. Mm-hmm. One day, people who had, you know, a bank of useless, uh, you know, 50 Bitcoins that they had had their computers mine or whatever for the last two years that were worth jack squat, one day they woke up and they were a millionaire mm-hmm. all of a sudden. And that got everybody wanting to know where the next, you know, strike of oil was going to be. And so every cryptocurrency that has come out since every, it's like we talked about with the, um, the TikTok NPCs, how a couple of them were making like three grand an hour doing this and like, okay, well now there's a million of them. Now everybody's going <laughs> to so do this weird we thing. We had Bitcoin go crazy and now every company and weird celebrities like, well, I've got my own cryptocurrency now. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened with NFTs as well. NFTs, they had a couple things that like were NFTs that got sold, like the first tweet. The first tweet got sold as an NFT. And so somebody owns that. The Charlie Bit My Finger YouTube video got sold as an NFT, and now that person owns the rights to that. And once those things started that's, coming out... That's nothing. I own uh, the sky above <laughs> the church. That's, <laughs> that that's mine. That's, yeah. We, we cut it out. I own uh, a square foot of the moon. I, I bought that. I got a certificate and everything. Uh, <laughs> when we live on the moon, that square is mine. So don't touch it, please. Thank you. <laughs> I just, it's, <laughs> I just, I, I know the possibility of digital money mm-hmm. becoming a, a mainstream thing is still like a actual, like replacing paper money is probably going to happen at some point. These are like the early stages of that. We're going into the future. Star Trek didn't have paper money. They didn't have any sort of currency. <laughs> right. Well, that's kind of where we're going to eventually, probably not in our lifetime, but I can see the groundwork leading to that and I can understand it. I've never understood NFTs. It just sounded like Beanie Babies, but worse because you're not actually holding anything. When the Beanie Baby bubble burst, you at least had some cute little plushies that you could give to your grandchildren. <laughs> that uh, grilled cheese sandwich with Jesus's face. face. You at least have the sandwich there. And if you got really hungry, (laughs) you could eat it. But with the NFT, what are you going to do when they, when they have burst all these, all these board ape yacht club people, when, when it goes to zero, which it's gonna, you know, you're going to just, well, here you go, son. I'm going to print this out for you. (laughs) This is yours. I'm passing down my legacy. Of this ape wearing a pirate outfit. That's <laughs> <to> like you, <laughs> Michael Scott, getting the little bits of gravel from the road, <laughs> the road. <laughs> when, the when they caught Stratton the Strangler drove Stratton by. Strangler, yeah. <laughs> now you take these. 
Go buy yourself a flying car or something. A flying car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tad, I'll thank you for that resub. Uh, I bought Canadian snacks for you to try. What? Ooh. You send them our way, we'll try them. Ooh. We'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. There is one more little section of this. So that's not all, because one of the key features of NFTs is now completely broken. Uh, This comes from TheVerge.com. One of the big promises of NFTs was that the artists who originally made them could get a cut every time the piece was resold. And unfortunately, that is no longer the case. OpenSea, the biggest NFT marketplace still fully enforcing royalty fees, said today that it plans to stop the mandatory collection of resale fees for artists. Starting March 2024, those fees will essentially be tips, an optional percentage of a sale price that sellers can choose to give to the original artist. If the seller doesn't want to hand over any money, that's their choice. The NFT ecosystem has been on the race to the bottom. On a race to the bottom when it comes to fees, as the market for NFTs collapsed, marketplaces have lowered their own trading fees and stopped enforcing royalty fees in order to attract sellers. Blur, which has overtaken OpenSea as the biggest NFT marketplace by trading volume, only enforces a 0.5% fee on most collections, whereas creators typically set their fees at 5 to 10%. OpenSea will stop enforcing royalty fees on all new NFTs starting August 31st. The marketplace will continue enforcing the fees on certain existing collections until March March of next year, uh, at which point they'll become optional on all sales. Yeah. <laughs> so now even one of the coolest features of like, yeah, you, you're buying this artist's work, but we're still you know, paying the artist for it is... Because, I mean, the artist could originally sell this, right, for 10 bucks, And then, they and then it blows up. And... Yeah, and they make, their, they make their 10 bucks, and it's over. And then it blows up, and it's going for, you know, $50,000, but you're not going to see any of that money. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we want to we not do that. If it's their art that's making this money, we want to give them a percentage of it anytime it's sold for a higher price. That's... That's doing right by the artist, mm-hmm. I feel like. And now they're like, but now no one's buying them. So you get nothing. <laughs> Here's your half a percent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Preacher guy says NFT economy. Shake my head. Uh, Joshua says, speaking of cryptocurrency, I had a bunch of friends who tried to get me to invest at one point. They are all real quiet right now. <laughs> yeah, I think the phrase race to the bottom really sums it up. Uh, so we're going to stop it right there and take our first break. But when we come back, we've got our Star Trek knowledge. To, we put, put our Star Trek knowledge to the test. <laughs> We've got our knowledge, We've and got we're putting our Star it Trek to the test to <laughs> give back to you. This week in nerd history, August twenty first through the twenty seventh. In 1998, Blade released. Blade tells the story of a half-human, half-vampire hero who fights against a powerful vampire lord and his army of bloodsuckers. This film is based on a Marvel Comics character and stars Wesley Snipes as Blade, the ultimate vampire hunter. 
Also in 1998, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six released on PC. This tactical first-person shooter video game series by Ubisoft, based on the novel of the same name by Tom Clancy, puts players in the role of elite counter-terrorist operatives from a secret international organization called Rainbow. August 22nd. In 2001, Strong Bad Emails was born. This popular web cartoon series from the world of Homestar Runner featured a sarcastic and witty Mexican wrestler named Strong Bad, who answers fan emails in hilarious and often absurd ways. This series gave birth to pop culture favorites Tro Door, Teen Girl Squad, and Limousine. The first Strong Bad email was titled Some Kind of Robot and featured Strong Bad answering an email from a fan who asked if he was a robot. Strong Bad denied being a robot and proceeded to mock the sender's poor grammar and spelling. August 23rd. In 2007, Chris Messina, who worked as a developer for Google and Uber, suggested using the hash symbol followed by a word or phrase to group and sort messages on Twitter in a tweet. This was the origin of the hashtag. August 25th. In 1997, GoldenEye 007 released on the Nintendo 64. This classic first-person shooter game was based on the James Bond film of the same name and featured realistic graphics at the time, varied gameplay, and a groundbreaking multiplayer mode that allowed up to four players to compete in different scenarios. It is widely considered one of the best and most influential video games ever made. August 26th. In 1991, a special wedding ended the WWF SummerSlam pay-per-view. The wedding of Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth was a memorable event that marked the culmination of their on-screen romance and the celebration of their real-life marriage, which had taken place seven years earlier. It was dubbed A Match Made in Heaven by announcer Gene Okerlund, and it featured a lavish ceremony, a star-studded guest list, and a heartfelt exchange of vows. In 2001, Mario Kart Super Circuit released. This fun and challenging racing game for the Game Boy Advance features eight Mario characters, 40 tracks, various items and modes, and the ability to play with friends using a link cable. August 27th. In 1964, Mary Poppins released. This musical fantasy film tells the story of a magical nanny who arrives at the Bank family's home in London and takes their children on a series of whimsical adventures with her friend Bert, a street performer. In 2020, Bill and Ted faced a music release in theaters, despite the COVID-19 pandemic still causing issues. This American science fiction comedy film follows the titular duo as they travel through time and the afterlife to meet their future selves, save their daughters, and join forces with various historical and musical figures in order to create the song that will save reality from collapsing and fulfill their destiny laid out in the first movie. For more nerdy facts about the topics we shared today, find our companion article for this week on lovethynerd.com. I'm Radio Matt, and I'll see you next time for more Nerd History. Shine Nerds, LTN's official morning show here on YouTube and LTN Radio. On LTN Radio, you can catch the audio show first at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 a.m. Intermixed with the best Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie. Since our focus this week is on Star Trek, a world Adrian and I both love, we are going to be putting our love to the test. Each of us will be taking a multiple choice Star Trek quiz. Each of us, um, I'm sorry, each question is going to have four multiple choice answers. Uh, we have to make our best guess. Uh, if we get it wrong, we get an X, but then we have to guess again until we get it right. That means that we could possibly accumulate three X's per question. So okay. we're kind of doing golf rules here. Least amount of X's by the end of both of our rounds wins. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. All right. You're going to win. <laughs> Even though 
I've loved Star Trek longer. You're going to win. <laughs> Comparatively, like a year longer, right? Like, it's not like it was. <laughs> Excuse me. I grew up watching it. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it when I was like 10. So <laughs> well, how, I was how much so. <laughs> how much on me okay <laughs> you're going first all right question number one in gene roddenberry's original treatment for star trek what was the name of the starship was it the reliant the enterprise the plymouth or the yorktown so is this tell like like what was the name on the show or is this like no the original like his his original presentation of okay. the pitch. I'm going to go with Reliant. Reliant? Ooh, 1X. Ooh. Enterprise, Plymouth, or Yorktown? Let's say Enterprise. Maybe he didn't change. <laughs> Two X's. <laughs> Plymouth. <laughs> <laughs> you have two bad stuff. I hate it was game. the Yorktown. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry's original concept for Star Trek was that a wagon train to the stars and included the starship Yorktown, plus significantly different characters from the ones that we know today. All right, it says three X's to okay. start. That's bad, Deidre. Number two. Real good. Here. Who was the first actor to play a member of all uh, all three of the major alien races in Star Trek? Well, in the original series, I believe. Was it Leonard Nimoy, Christopher Lloyd, Jeffrey Hunter, or Mark Leonard? Leonard Nimoy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know who these people are. <laughs> Tell me what they played. Christopher Lloyd was is Doc Brown. Yeah. Okay. I don't know who the other two are. <laughs> Let's say Christopher Lloyd. No. no. Oh, Mark I really Leonard. thought it was. I really thought it was Christopher Lloyd. Mark okay, Leonard, best okay. known for... Oh, that's right. Best known for his royal role as Sarek, Spock's father, was the first actor to play a member of all three of the major alien races, Vulcan, Romulan, and Klingon. Uh, wow. Okay. So you're up to five X's. This is C. What's that? This is all about the actors and the behind the stuff, and I don't know any of that. Okay, this is not. What is Sulu's primary position on the USS Enterprise? <laughs> Science officer, navigator, chief engineer, or helmsman? Sulu. I'm trying to remember which, who's Sulu. George Takei. Is the... He sat up front, uh, remember? Helm, helmsman. Helmsman? Good job. Helmsman on USS <laughs> okay. Enterprise. No X is there. Number four. Which Star Trek captain has an artificial heart? Benjamin Sisko, Jean-Luc Picard, Catherine Janeway, or Jonathan Archer? Uh, I think it's Jean-Luc Picard, right? Yeah. Because yeah. he got, yeah, stabbed artificial by an Artificial heart. Uh -huh. Stabbed by an Oscar. I, I knew that girl. one. Good job. I knew that one. Uh, number five, who was the first Vulcan science officer aboard the Starship Enterprise? Vulcan science officer aboard the Starship Enterprise. Was it Sarek, Spock, T'Pol, or Tuvok? Uh, T'Pol? 
Yay. Good job. As a subcommander <laughs> serving the Vulcan High Command, T'Pol was stationed aboard the original Enterprise, April 2151, as an observer to Captain Jonathan Arthur and his crew, who the High Command insisted were not ready for interstellar space exploration. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the interstellar, or after the success of the initial mission, T'Pol requested to stay aboard a science officer. All right. Number six, which alien race did Ronald Reagan say reminded him of Congress? <laughs> Klingons, Vulcans, Ferengi, or Borg? Klingons? <laughs> <laughs> when Ronald Reagan visited the set of Star Trek The Next Generation during filming of Redemption in 1991, he remarked, I like them, the Klingons. They remind me of Congress. <laughs> <sighs> Number seven, which species was the first to discover warp drive? Vulcans, humans, Borg, or Klingon? Uh, Vulcans. They developed warp drive capability around the 9th century BC of Earth time, long before the Klingons or the Borg or the humans. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, Trishan says in that like what the <laughs> Congress question, he would have gone for Angie. I would have too. That's what I would have guessed. <laughs> uh, number eight. What Star Trek character was labeled unknown sample when discovered by Bajoran scientists? Khan Noonien Singh, Data, Odo, or Seven of Nine? Odo. <clears throat> That's a good guess. Yeah. <laughs> One of the hundreds sent out by the founders long ago to explore the galaxy, Odo was found adrift uh, by the Bajorans in the Denorios belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had not learned how to morph into a humanoid appearance, so he was just a gelatinous goop. Stuck in a container. <laughs> number right. number nine. You're doing really good. You haven't gotten any more X's since those first couple questions. Good. Yeah. I was feeling good at the beginning, and now I'm not feeling so good. <laughs> Which Star Trek actor originally devised the Klingon language? Oh. Mark Leonard, Leonard Nimoy, James Doohan, or Michael Ansara? Jeez. So Mark Leonard was the guy who played a bunch of characters. Let's go with him. Let's see. Ah. Ooh, not Mark Leonard. All right, Leonard Nimoy, James Doohan, or Michael and Sarah? Leonard Nimoy. Oh, no. James Doohan. I have no idea. Yay! The language's basic sound, along with a few words, was first devised by Scotty himself. Okay. uh, And producer John Pavel for Star Trek The Motion Picture, which marked the first time the language had been heard on screen. In all previous appearances, Klingon spoke English. All right, last question for you. What character was adopted by the Vulcan ambassador, Sarek? Michael Burnham, Spock, Cybok, or Sylvia Tilly? I don't, I have no idea. Well, you have to guess. (laughs) That's the the game. (laughs) Spock. You think Spock was adopted? What's wrong with you? He's half human, half Vulcan. His story's been told. Come on now. Cybok, Sylvia Tilly, Michael Burnham. Cybok? Nope, that's his actual brother, I believe. Michael <laughs> yeah, Burnham, Sylvia Tilly. Michael Burnham. Correct! Michael Burnham was the first human to attend the Vulcan Learning Center and the Vulcan Science Academy as a xenoanthropologist. She is the uh, main character from Star Trek Discovery. Oh. Michael yeah, Burnham. Watched you it. Yeah, you haven't watched that one. She is Spock's adopted sister. Fully human. All right, Deidre. I did see here. One, two, three, four. So you got nine X's total. Oof. 
Alright, so I have to get less than that. Here's the mouse. Whoops. I just screwed something up. <laughs> boop, boop. Way to go, Tad. This was your idea. I'm already screwed something up. Right, there you go. There's the mouse. You ask me my questions and let's see if I can beat you. All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't like not being in control of the mouse. I'm telling you that right now. It's very disgusting. <laughs> Who serves as communications officer in the final episode of Star Trek, the original series? Lieutenant Lisa, Lieutenant Rand, Lieutenant O'Hara, Lieutenant Baldwin? The fact that it says the final episode is throwing me off. (laughs) Did it change? Was it not Uhura in the final episode? fact that it says final episode tells me it can't be Uhura, right? I don't, know any, I don't know any of the other ones. <laughs> Lisa. Lieutenant Lisa? Yeah. Oh, oh my what? gosh! No fair. Lieutenant Uhura does not appear in Turnabout Intruder, the last episode of Star Trek TOS. She's replaced by Lieutenant Lisa, who some fans have identified as the night shift communications officer. I can't even picture that character in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> What actress turned down the role of Seven of Nine four times? Hudson Lake? 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 I think. Claudia Christian, Jerry Ryan, Jolene Blada. Blalak. Get some normal names, people. What actress turned down the role of Seven of Nine? Who turned it down? Jerry Ryan is who played it. Times. But did she turn it down? <laughs> it's so nice being on the other side of these questions, by the way. <laughs> Claudia Christian. Claudia Christian. Nah. Jolene Blalock. Blalock. Dang it. <laughs> Hudson Lake. Come oh. on, it's Jerry Ryan, really? Uh, turn down the role of 79 four times. She only accepted the part. What you are you didn't doing? read it the last time? Okay. I've been reading. Do you mm-hmm. want to read? No. You read. Go ahead. Read. It's your turn now. <laughs> <laughs> she turned down the role of seven of nine four times. She only accepted the part after repeating repeated lobbying by executive producer Jerry Taylor. That, see, he just wants someone with the same name. That was a <laughs> that was a dirty trick. That question. <laughs> <laughs> What actor from Star Trek the original series lost his right middle finger during World War II? Leonard Nimoy, James Duhon, DeForest Kelly, George Takai. <laughs> now he's picturing these actors' hands. Well, did someone not have a finger? Trying to remember if someone's missing a finger. <laughs> someone not have a middle One finger? One of these four guys is. <laughs> Trisha knows this one. Ooh. Who doesn't have a middle finger? <laughs> also, what a finger to lose. <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say DeForest Kelly. DeForest Kelly. James Duhon, then? Okay. Oh. Just one X. James Duhon Scotty lost his right middle finger during World War II. Most of his scenes are. Uh, Shot to hide okay, it okay. in scenes with a close-up view of Scotty's hands operating the transporter, for example. Someone else's hands are always used. However, it is noticeable on a few rare occasions. The most obvious example is the trouble with tribbles when Scotty comes into the rec room with his arms full of tribbles. 
Take a close look at his hands. You can clearly see he's missing a finger. Wow. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I don't feel as bad that I didn't know that, seeing as they hit it. (laughs) We're not going to use your hands. I feel like that wouldn't fly this... People can't not have fingers in the future. <laughs> We've had to have figured that out by now. <laughs> we know how to grow them back. <laughs> All right, come on, come on, come on. What future Starfleet captain survived the Battle of Wolf 359? Jonathan Archer, James T. Kirk, Benjamin Sisko, Catherine Janeway. The Battle of Wolf 359. Is that not the battle at the very beginning of Voyager? Before they accidentally get slingshotted. I feel like it's Cisco, though. I'm going to say Cisco. Oh, baby. (laughs) The USS Saratoga was destroyed, but the ship's first officer, Benjamin Cisco, escaped with his son. An estimated 11,000 people were killed during the battle, including Cisco's wife, Jennifer. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't. The battle you it were thinking of, You're right. but I knew it was Cisco. <laughs> 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 what is Lieutenant O'Hara's first name? Ephra, Katura, Noyota, Ayana. It's Neota. Neota. <laughs> is that your answer, yeah. or you're telling me how to say Neota. it? Okay, <laughs> didn't want to put that. <laughs> yeah, I know that one. While guest starring on the game show Super Password on January 7th, 1987, Nichelle Nichols revealed that Ahura's first name was Neota. Neota is the Swahili word for star. So do they never say it on the original series then? Apparently. That's interesting. They say it on Strange New Worlds. That's how I knew. Gotcha. What is Deanna Troy's favorite food? Chocolate? Butter berries, jacarin pudding, beta Z oysters, <laughs> jacarin. Okay, see, this feels like another one of those swerve questions where it's like three weird things and chocolate. I know the answer. Do you really? Yeah, I do. Jacarin pudding. Jack jacarin pudding. Bang. Dang it, beta Z oysters. <laughs> Come on, Udaberries. <laughs> it was a freaking swerve again. This I is knew not it fair. Was chocolate. It's not fair. She's always What's talking the about how much she loves things? chocolate. Stupid. <laughs> Absolutely stupid. She's an <sighs> avid connoisseur of chocolate. I keep reaching for the mouse, by the way. I don't like it. It's not there. She, it's like not having your phone. Hey, I have another mouse over here. Does it work too? It does. Well, stop it. It's my turn with dueling, the mouse. Dueling mice. She once remarked she had never met a chocolate she didn't like. In one episode, she instructs Commander Riker, it is the fine art, in the fine art of eating chocolate. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> Dang it. All right. What ship is Sulu assigned when he's promoted to captain? USS Excalibur? USS Excelsior? USS Yamaguchi? Gachi. Tamagotchi. Says Bradbury. I'm I'm positive it's one of the top two, but those are so close in names, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Excalibur or Excelsior? I'm gonna say Excalibur. Excalibur. All right, the other one then. <laughs> 
Sulu was promoted to captain, given command of the USS Excelsior three years before the events of Star Trek for the undiscovered six. Six. six, six sorry. Hey, <laughs> I am only. I'm at eight. Oh no! You're at nine. Oh, I am no, at eight. You have to and get have both of these, three. right? Don't I have three? Oh yes. I have three oh my more. goodness! <laughs> I'm gonna win it. <laughs> Okay. You have the habit, though, of just making me feel like I'm going to win and then just winning. I do, so. do that sometimes. What character dies in the final in the series finale of Star Trek Enterprise? Flox, Hoshi, Trip to Paul. I know Pretty this sure answer. It was trip, too. wasn't it? I think it's Trip. Yes, it's Trip. Yeah. Charles Trip Tucker to save the crew. I remember. I remember people were mad about that. I Why'd you guys so do that? Mad. Yeah. So mad. What's the point of that? <laughs> if we're gonna jump ahead into the future, just make it where everyone's okay. Come on. <laughs> All right. Which Star Trek captain suffers from androgic androgenic alopecia? Okay, there we go. Androgenic alopecia. Jonathan Archer, Jean-Luc Picard, James T. Kirk, Catherine Janeway. Alopecia is something with your hair, isn't it? Alopecia. I'm not going to Google it, but I'm pretty sure alopecia is something with your hair. So that eliminates Picard. (laughs) Dang it, Cisco's not one of them. It eliminates Picard. (laughs) I don't think it's Kirk because I don't think they would have made that kind of joke or whatever then. So it's Archer or Janeway. I'm going to say Archer. Dang it. Ooh. Dang it. Oh, no. We're tied Dang now. <laughs> what if it is Picard? What if it's another swerve? And that's why his head's shaved completely. It's not shaved completely. He's got hair around that. Uh-huh. He's got the U, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Dang it. Mm-hmm. Dang it. Janeway. Stupid game. <laughs> Stupid. Kirk. <laughs> it's really the bald guy. Come on. All of these questions. Captain Picard suffers from a severe case of androgenic alopecia, also known as male pattern baldness. Oh, <laughs> dang it. I didn't know alopecia was baldness. You also suffer from this. I suffer from this as well. I thought it was like another kind of dandruff or Uh, something. I've never really... (laughs) Alopecia. Wow. That makes me... Oh, boy. That makes me sad. Oh, boy. All right. Let's do the last one. Just rip the band-aid here. (laughs) Which of the following was not a founding species of the United Federation of Planets? Vulcans, Androrians, Tellarites, Bajorans. Who was not the founding? I don't remember species. the. I don't remember what Tellarites are. Yeah, me neither. But I also don't think the Bajorans were part of the beginning. I'm gonna say Bajorans. I got nothing to lose. I agree with you. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, they're the fighting people. They're not gonna be a part of the. Right. <laughs> yeah. They were trying to join the Federation. Right. That's what in DS9. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 
Uh, Brother Mod says, I only know alopecia from Arrested Development and the guy who didn't have eyebrows. <laughs> That's interesting. Man, okay, so you win with nine. I had 11 Xs. So, uh, good news. That means you get to go up against one of our uh, Discord shinies oh my God. in tomorrow's show. Oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Lark? Cause she sure, just, sure, it's not Lark. <laughs> she beat me so bad. She really did. <laughs> no, I think I think uh you and your opponent are in the same kind of range of knowledge when it comes to Star Trek cuz mm. he hasn't watched in a few years so I don't think he's up all that much on the newer stuff either. Yeah. So, I think you'll you'll be You'll be good opponents. <laughs> That'll be. I need my mouse back. I can't do anything. <laughs> oh, I hated it so much. All right. Uh, we're going to take one more break. When we get back, we're going to dive into our main topic, the next generation of Star Trek TV shows. We here at Love Thy Nerd emphasize relational outreach. From huge convention halls to local game nights across the world, LTN wants to show the love of Jesus to nerds and nerd culture. We're always developing resources and articles to help you grow nerd ministry in your area and expanding our reach as a ministry into all areas of nerd culture. Connect with us on social media at Love Thy Nerd and at LTN On Air to join in. Welcome back to Rise and Shine Nerds, LTN's brand new morning show. LoveThyNerd.com aims to be a hub of information for nerds and nerd culture. Our resource lists range from tough topics to explorations of specific fandoms. And just to be meta about it, we have created a listing of our resource lists, as well as a few standalone resources. Check it Check out all the resources we have to offer with more coming all the time at lovethynerd.com slash resources. This week, we are all about the final frontier, talking about all things Star Trek. Today, we're focusing on the Star Trek that was popular during our childhoods, from the late 80s to the early 2000s. Of course, we're starting with the next generation, set in the latter third of the 24th century, when Earth is part of the United Federation of Planets. It follows the adventures of a Starfleet ship, the USS Enterprise, um, the D, Enterprise D, in its exploration of the Alpha Quadrant in the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a huge writing letter writing campaign against this show from fans of the original series of Star Trek. Mean. They were demanding the return of the original cast. Oh. Demanding it. Mm. Uh, there was an article I saw. Someone posted this, I think, in the LTN group. An article I saw that was talking about the letter writing campaign. And they were showing off some of the new cast and what their roles were, uh, except for LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton had it, had, uh, <laughs> instead of what his name, you know, said plays, you know, Jordy LaForge, whatever, mm -hmm. it labeled him the new Spock. I'm like, he's not 
anywhere close to Spock in the character. If anything, Data's the new Spock, right? Right. <laughs> when it comes to the the, the way the, can, the character has his mannerisms and stuff like that. But Jordy, not anywhere. I, have I guess because never... he's a science officer. Maybe that's why. And they're just like, but he's engineering. Yeah. I yeah. Know. I don't know. He would have been. Was he was he Scotty. always engineering or was he science officer at the beginning? Because I remember at the beginning he had a red shirt. And yeah. He eventually went to. Yeah, maybe that's so it. Maybe, maybe that's what, maybe what it was. Their goal like, was that. I don't know. <laughs> he did not come off as the new Spock to I've me. Never heard him be described as Spock like. <laughs> uh, but of course, wow. yeah, that didn't that didn't come to fruition. Yeah. But. Uh, I'm glad they didn't listen to the write-ins because <laughs> I love that generation. Great. Yeah, I do agree with some people that the first couple seasons were just a bit, yeah, trudgy. They had to find their mm-hmm. their thing, and it was like there was a mm-hmm. if it felt like there was a massive leap in quality somewhere in the middle of the show. Yeah, because it still mm-hmm. kind of originally started with a bit of that feel of the original series. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is supposed to be the future, but it looks outdated already. Mm-hmm. And I think that gradually got better mm-hmm. throughout the series. Uh, of course, by the time their movies came out, but mm-hmm. um, I remember the the factoid about the original. I think the I think it was just the first season. They had those really tight one piece uniforms. Yes, and how it was like causing so many back problems for everybody on, on the cast because it like tied around the bottom of their feet. It was like a, it's like a Halloween costume, essentially, you know, this really, a, you know, a tight fitting one piece costume. Right. Cause they wanted it to look like there were no creases. Right. You know, mm-hmm. no creases, no wrinkles in the future. <laughs> so they're like just full tight bodysuits. And, and they then, got rid of those. yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like, um, a thing that Picard did when he got up, he fixed his shirt, you know, mm-hmm. I would that feel like, thing. Yeah, yeah, I'd feel like that would, that wouldn't have existed. <laughs> yeah, we went these onesies and Deanna wore, Deanna wore a, the, the weird purple bodysuit uh-huh, thing. Completely different outfit from anyone else <laughs> for some I reason. I still don't know why, yeah. <laughs> still, I still don't recall them telling us why she didn't just have a normal uniform. Because she eventually had a normal uniform. Yeah, because she was supposed to be the she, the, the hot topic. I guess so. <laughs> Don't want to hide. She did eventually get her blue uniform, but it yeah. was like DS9 yeah. era yeah. blue. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't understand. This is, I mean, it's not off topic, but it's off topic for TNG specifically. I don't understand why the uniforms have to be different in every show. Why can't they be roughly the same? I don't get. I don't get the changes. Like, do, uh, like I'm thinking of army uniforms, military. Like, I can think of one time they changed them. Right. Right. Or like, uh, I think that was just the battle stuff, like the stuff they wear on the in the in the field. They changed the the camouflage from standard camouflage to it was like a digital pattern now kind of like a pixelated camouflage it still does the same thing but they just updated it to look pixelated because we're in the future now or whatever <laughs> but like i the uh, the standard like uniform uniforms all look the same as they've done in all of history that i can tell you think so? They're close enough. I so? mean, they might have changed color design or something. I mean, think but about like, like 
Britain, the Redcoats are coming. And, well, you know, that, that was, I guess. was completely different. I guess. I guess just <sighs> fine. <laughs> I'm thinking in my lifetime. Okay. But from next generation to DS9 to Voyager. Right, right. They're all supposed to be kind of relatively close Next to each other. Next generation and Voyager are about the same. It's just DS9. I guess I'm making a big problem <laughs> where there's not one. No, okay, they were different. Because the next generation, uh-huh. it was the, the shirts themselves that had the color. And in Voyager, it was the shoulder pads that had the color. Okay. Right. And mm-hmm. then in DS9, it was the undershirt that had the color. And the shirts were all black. And then they had gray shoulder pads. And everybody had the gray shoulder pads. And so you only saw the color in the little right. undershirt. Little, little the bit. collar and uh-huh. the little triangle. Uh-huh. So why? Why do we have to do that? That's a lot. <laughs> That's all my. That's all I was saying. <laughs> <sighs> Too this much. this show was almost canceled after its second season due to low ratings and poor reviews. Uh, however, it was saved by a fan campaign, fan campaign uh, and a syndication deal that gave producers more creative freedom. So it was very similar to how the original series went at the wow. beginning. Uh, so at first, fans wrote in saying, don't do it unless don't it's original. It. <laughs> and then fans were like, no, don't take Wait, it away. We love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe we're different fans. <laughs> yeah. Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, did not want Patrick Stewart to play Captain Picard because he was bald and British. <laughs> he thought that a bald captain would look too old and that a British accent would not fit the role of a French character. However, Stewart impressed Roddenberry with his acting skills and charisma and eventually won him over. <laughs> the show introduced several alien races that became iconic in the Star Trek universe, such as the Borg, the Q, mm-hmm. the Ferengi, and the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. Some of these races were inspired by real-world world cultures and historical events. For example, the Borg were based on the idea of the cybernetic collective that assimilates other civilizations similar to the Roman Empire or Nazi Germany. Okay. The Q were based on the Greek gods, who were powerful but capricious beings that interfered with human affairs. The show uh, also featured many famous guest stars, such as Whoopi Goldberg, Leonard Nimoy, James Duhon, Stephen Hawking, Ashley Judd, Kelsey Grammer, (laughs) and Mick Fleetwood. I love Kelsey Grammer. Uh, Some of them were fans of the show and requested to appear on it. Uh, For example, Goldberg asked to play Guinan. Uh, the bartender of the Enterprise, because she was inspired by Nichelle Nichols' role as uh, Yuhura in the original series. Hawking played himself in a holodeck scene where he played poker with Einstein, Newton, and Data, <laughs> which is cool. That is cool. The show is known for its high-quality writing and storytelling. Some explored uh, complex themes and moral dilemmas. Some of the most acclaimed episodes are The Inner Light, where Picard lives an entire lifetime in another planet mm-hmm. in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Best of Both Worlds, where Picard is captured and assimilated by the Borgs. Borgs? Borg? The Measure of a Man, where Data writes, uh, where Data's rights as a sentient being are put on trial. Mm-hmm. And All Good Things, where Picard travels through time to prevent a temporal anomaly that threatens all life in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. That was a yeah. good ending to that show. I really liked how they pulled that off. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the show was the first and only Star Trek series to win a primetime Emmy award for outstanding drama. Uh, it was, I keep saying a lot. I'm trying not to. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for the award in 1994, but lost to picket fences. Uh, however, it, 
won the award in 1995. I'm just noticing every time I say, oh, no. And now everyone listening is going to notice every time I say it. So I really have to stop because I've pointed it out. Beating out ER, NYPD Blue, Chicago Hope, and The X-Files. Let's move on to the next series. Deep Space Nine, set in the 24th century, where Earth is part of a united federation of planets. Its narrative is centered on the the space station in Deep Space Nine. There's a word here that I don't know how to pronounce. Located adjacent eponymous? 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 It's the name of the station and the show. I think that's what that means. Deep Space Nine, located adjacent to a wormhole connecting the Federation territory to the Gamma Quadrant on the far Mm -hmm. side of the Milky Way galaxy. Mm -hmm. I am a fan of Deep Space Nine. You like Deep Space Nine. That's right. I do. I do. I did like... There was more um, spiritual Mm -hmm. stuff. In this right. one, and I liked the Bajorans that was, that are was very new. spiritual. That was new to Star Trek, really. Uh-huh. That kind of aspect, like them going to things. church on the station. Yeah, yeah, you know. that was all kind of new stuff. Yeah. And I did like the aspect of it being a intergalactic hub of travelers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The Ferengi was a fun thing. Cork. I mean, come on, Cork's bar. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff to it. Yeah. And then they did have some really good episodes mm-hmm. that played on other classic stuff. Mm-hmm. The one where Q showed up, that was great. The one where they went back in time to the Trouble with Tribbles episode of the original series. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. The baseball team episode was fun. I like that mm-hmm. one. There are some great episodes Within the series that I don't really care for. <laughs> uh, enough that I w- did watch it all with you. Uh-huh. We went through the entire seven seasons. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty satisfied with their ending, too. And their ending was heavily on the spiritual side as well, yeah. as I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, I don't know. It just doesn't, it seems like a different show to me. It doesn't feel like Star Trek just because... They don't go They out. don't go and they don't trek they don't the stars. <laughs> They're not trekking. <laughs> if they ain't trekking, they ain't trekking. <laughs> Their stars um, stay in place. That's what they are. <laughs> they just, um, all the fun came to them. Oh. <laughs> I yeah, mean, they, yeah, they, essentially, they, that is what it was. They did go out occasionally. Occasionally they, they went out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but not enough. <laughs> Uh, no, but they brought in Worf eventually, right? Yeah. To be on the show. They brought in O'Brien mm-hmm. to be on the show. Two really good additions to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad to see those characters come from Next Generation. When those... Well, O'Brien was from the beginning, wasn't he? I'm close to it, if not If not at, at the, the very beginning. beginning. I'm pretty sure yeah. he was... He was there quite a while. Was the beginning. Mm-hmm. Worf came about halfway through the show, I believe. Was it as early as halfway? I don't. I don't know. Was it? That. It might not even be. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was seasons four through seven, so it was a little earlier than halfway through. So, yeah. The only thing I didn't, I will say, I didn't like was was Dax changing on us. That's right. I hated that. Yeah. Yeah. I was. 
I don't know if the actor, I'm, I'm assuming the, the actor la- quit or something. It was just for the last season. <laughs> but that made me sad. Yeah, she declined to renew her contract at the yeah. end of the season. Yeah, um, It was only for the last season, but that was rough. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't like the new Dax yeah. character. I wasn't a fan of him. Yeah. Too. It was rough. Yeah. It was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, O'Brien. Let me see if I can find him. I can't find him. On oh, here. the doctor guy on DS. Doctor guy was good. I liked it him. was okay. Uh-huh. It was all right. I didn't hate him. I didn't love him. So yeah, uh, Miles O'Brien was there from the beginning. Okay. The season one. Yeah. I liked O'Brien a lot in mm-hmm. this series. He wasn't a huge role in the next generation. Right. He got a little bit more popular towards the end or used more i guess towards mm-hmm. the end but he wasn't a huge character there mm-hmm. uh definitely wasn't one of the main cast so to have him come over here and be one of the main cast in ds9 i yeah. liked that yeah that's cool <clears throat> and i love Worf. i don't really care for klingons all that much the storylines with the klingons <laughs> and all that but Worf himself fantastic character <laughs> uh, and so having him on there was fun yeah uh here's some interesting facts about ds9 the show was originally planned as a western the main setting being the frontier outpost on Bajor. Okay. The idea was to make it the rifleman in space with a main character like Chuck Connors. Dr. Bashir, who you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, actor Alexander Siddig, uh, was the first choice to play Benjamin Sisko. Oh. But he was too young for the role. He was also the most unpopular character for the first two years, and the <laughs> network wanted to find him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was supposed to be kind of this... Uh cocky i know everything i'm a genius yeah kind of guy yeah he was supposed to not he had to grow on you come on yeah he was dwight trout let him him be loved let him yeah (laughs) the show was the first star trek series to be created without the direct involvement of franchise creator gene roddenberry who died in 1991 it was also the first to have an african-american as a central character the show's serialized storytelling and darker themes were influenced by the success of Babylon 5, a rival sci-fi show that aired at the same time and had kind of the same premise. Mm. Some fans accused Deep Space Nine of copying Babylon 5, uh, but most believe that the show had similar concepts independently. However, one of the original creators of Babylon 5's claims that they took their show to um, CBS or Paramount Several years in the past to try and get it started. And they passed on it and then eventually created something very similar. Mm. So, I don't know. (laughs) The show had many guest stars from other Star Trek series, Mm -hmm. such as Leonard Nimoy, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spinner, Spiner, I never know how to pronounce his name. Spiner. Michelle Barrett. Barrett played Luxwana Troy, of course, uh, who was supposed to be a major recurring character, but she had to reduce her appearances due to her husband's death. Hmm. Let's move on to our favorite of this era, <laughs> Voyager. Okay. I Voyager. love it. Set in the 24th century, when Earth is part of a United Federation of Planets still, it follows the adventures of the Starfleet vessel USS Voyager as it attempts to return home to the Alpha Quadrant after being stranded in the Delta Quadrant on the far side of the Milky Way galaxy. Paramount Pictures commissioned the series following the termination of Star Trek The Next Generation to accompany the ongoing Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and they wanted it to help launch UPN, their newly established network. So this was very similar to the path they were trying to take with uh-huh. Phase 2 uh-huh. uh, Star Trek. They were Paramount finally able to launch their own network, and they wanted a Star Trek series to be their flagship show. 
Okay. And so, so Voyager did not air on CBS. It aired on UPN to help them establish that network. Okay. Which is also why there might not have been as many fans of it because a lot of places didn't have UPN. Yeah. To begin with. Makes sense. It was new. It was new. Uh, so initial thoughts. This show is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. I have a character that I hate. Ooh, who's that? Seska. I, I, all she's not the episodes the with Seska. Right. I was like so done with her. <laughs> I agree. And I think most people agreed, which is why they got her off of there. I was like, okay. They didn't kill her, right? They just, they had her abandon the ship and join the villains. Join a group of villains. Yeah, but no, but then she was like, she kept coming back and had this thing with... Uh, yeah, but she wasn't there forever. It was just like a storyline. I think she might have died. There was a baby. Did she eventually die? She might. I feel die. like she died. Either way, I agree with you. Seska was worse. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, the idea of having... The idea was fantastic. Because it was coming out of a battle with the Maquis. That's what it was. Yes. Battle with the Maquis. Mm-hmm. And they wound up having... A Maquis crew mm-hmm. merge merge with a Starfleet crew. Mm-hmm. They were bitter enemy enemies. Then they wound up stranded together on the Delta Quadrant through the whole weird uh, slingshot storyline that mm-hmm. you'll you know we don't have time to go into here. <laughs> <laughs> and had to join together as one crew. Mm-hmm. I think that story was fantastically mm-hmm. done, and how it wasn't just an easy easy thing how Mm -hmm. there were factions and both sides were you know independent of each other for a long time long stretch of episodes how they had to spend that first season essentially learning how to be one crew right so they could survive Mm -hmm. was fantastic and they had some not so nice maquis people Mm -hmm. (laughs) the 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 murderer guy (laughs) the uh... he became very nice (laughs) Thanks to Tuvok. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I think it was a fantastic premise to start the show with. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that they were cut off from a lot of their power sources, and so they had to not use replicators as much. They had to not rely on a lot of the comforts yeah. that you would have. Yeah, they had to the store, have a starship. kitchen and, yeah. Eat gross food Eat all Neelix's the time. Neelix's cooking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had rations for what they could use for their uh, replicator. Uh-huh. Like how many times they could right. use it. Yeah. <clears throat> uh-huh. Catherine Janeway used it on coffee uh-huh. all the time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> There's that famous line where they see a nebula that's got some of the stuff that can power oh, yeah. the, the replicator. And she's like, there's coffee in that nebula. <laughs> <laughs> They had like a whole, they had a completely different system, right? Like if you get into the science of it, they had the gel packs and it was like a completely. It was like a living thing. A bio yeah. something or other network. Like they could get yeah. sick. The gel packs yeah, could get so sick. Yeah, so like that often they had to, yeah, figure out what was going on with the gel packs. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just about reversing the polarity. <laughs> they had to heal the living gel packs. Uh, also, midway through the series, we had Seven of Nine join. 
mm-hmm. which is a essentially a rescued Borg. Right. Yeah. And it was the first time that they'd ever been able to try and pull one from the collective and give them back individuality. Mm-hmm. So that became mm-hmm. a very fun uh, story arc mm-hmm. toward the back half. Mm-hmm. You can see that growth. And they had, I mean, the doctor. Oh, the, oh gosh, on. the best doctor <laughs> of all the series. <laughs> The Emergency Medical Hologram, <laughs> played by Picardo, whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. his name? Yeah. Robert Picardo, yeah. He did so good mm-hmm. in that role. Mm-hmm. It was always so yeah. fun. Yeah. <clears throat> and to see him grow <laughs> into like his own person, even though he is a, a completely holographic individual uh-huh. that's not supposed to grow and learn. Yep. To see him like sing and put on performances and all kinds of stuff and <laughs> his eternal quest to pick a name and then he yeah. picks Bob. <laughs> uh, getting the, getting the, going into, they went into the future slightly into the future and he was able to acquire the oh, yeah, portable the mobile emitter. Mobile emitter. emitter. There he yes. goes. So he could wear that and get out of the the uh, med bay. Uh That was really cool. Yeah. The Uh emergency command hologram (laughs) scenario was really cool (laughs) where he activated it and Uh it just popped on four pins on his collar automatically. (laughs) (laughs) Command the ship. Activate the emergency command. I remember that first season was about um, him Mm. trying to get like, if I'm going to be the doctor, Give me the ability to turn myself off. On and off, Because yeah. people just kept leaving and mm-hmm. not dis- deactivating the emergency medical mm-hmm. water. Oh, such a good show. I, I got to watch it again. It was so <laughs> good. Uh, and then we had um, Neelix uh-huh. mm-hmm. and Tess, right? Tess was mm-hmm. the girl. I didn't like Neelix at first, but he grew on me. You didn't like Neelix at first? I not liked at first. Neelix at first. I didn't yeah. like Tess at first. Tess was weird. Yeah. This was weird and quiet, and I didn't like it. <laughs> but then her story got nuts, and that was pretty cool. They did a lot of Borg stuff, which I love the Borg. Uh-huh. Borg's my favorite mm-hmm. villain I mean, of the series. That's the quadrant the Borg were from, from yeah. right? Yeah. That was really neat. So it was all really about evading them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a lot of time travel stuff mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. series, which I also love when Star Trek gets into time travel stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, it, it had it had everything. And then we had, of course, Tom Paris, Harry Kim, Belana Torres, mm-hmm. all of those. They felt like the... Um, the Scrubs actors to me. They, they felt like this was JD Turk and uh, Turk's Turk's girlfriend. I don't remember her name now. Um, but yeah, that's, that was the dynamic that yeah. it felt like. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. These were the friends. This right. was the friend yeah. group that you wanted to hang out with. It they did the, get to develop lots of Kess, not Tess. Kess. Kess. <clears throat> Sorry. She was Ocompin. Yeah. Uh, who lived only like seven years or something like that. It's like yeah. a dog, dog's life. Like it was very short. Yeah. Yeah. When she came on, she was, she was two only. Right. Two. She was, she was one, or I one think. Or, and she, one or two. They, I think she had her second, had her second birthday. birthday. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. <sighs> uh, yeah. So I, um, it's hard for me to think of anything I didn't really like about the show. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
Species 8472. I mean, that was... <sighs> That was scary stuff, man. Back then, <laughs> that was some scary junk. Yeah. The newer yeah. shows have gotten, you know, have had more creepier episodes with disgusting yeah. stuff now. But just why I don't want to watch them. But back then, it was like, oh boy, that's a scary yeah. species right there. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, that was probably the first like creepy things I watched, but still enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> like I still wanted to watch it. So the original yeah. actress uh, who was cast as Captain Janeway quit mm-hmm. after two days of filming. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was supposed to play the first female captain in Star Trek history. She found the workload too demanding and left the show. So Kate Mulgrew replaced her and became the iconic leader of the Voyager crew. Tom Paris, the pilot of Voyager, was played by the same actor who portrayed a Starfleet cadet who lied about a fatal accident in Star Trek The Next Generation. Robert Duncan McNeil played both Tom Paris and Nicholas Locarno who had hmm. uh, similar backgrounds and personalities. The producers wanted to use the Locarno character, but they could not, for some reason, get the rights to Locarno, so they had to create Paris instead. Oh. So it's essentially the same character. But they weren't allowed to say they that. They just weren't able to use the name. <laughs> uh, did you know that one of the guest stars on Voyager was a real-life king? Really? In our world, yes. Ooh. King Abdullah II of Jordan, who was a big Star Trek fan. Appeared as an unnamed ensign in an episode called Investigations. He had a brief scene with Neelix, the ship's cook. Huh. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Just, hey, this king over here from Jordan really likes the show and he wants to be in it for the Okay. <laughs> Q, the omnipotent trickster, showed up several times on Voyager, once with yes. his son, who was played by John DeLance's real son. Really? I didn't know that. Wow, that's cool. Seven of Nine was introduced as the fourth season to give Janeway a foil. The producers felt that the Voyager lacked a uh, Spock-like character who could challenge Janeway's decisions and provide a different perspective. Tuvok, who was a Spock-like character, Mm -hmm. rarely disagreed with her. Yeah, that's which true. was different from Spock and Kirk. They often right. had disagreements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Seven of Nine, a former Borg drone who was rescued by Voyager, filled that role instead. Mm. All right, last show for the day, Star Trek Enterprise, set in the 22nd century, 100 years before the events of the original series. It follows the adventures of the Enterprise, Earth's first starship capable of traveling at warp five, as it explores the galaxy and encounters various alien species. I I liked the Enterprise, but I hated how it ended. I like the Enterprise, and I didn't mind how it ended. <laughs> I didn't love the Enterprise, though. It was not my favorite, and I guess that's why I wasn't as invested in how it ended as most people were. Like, yeah. it didn't bother me. I felt like, yeah, it might as well end this way. That's how it <laughs> felt. <'cause> <laughs> I didn't... I couldn't get super into it. I don't know why. I couldn't connect with the characters as much as I have on other Star Trek shows. Yeah. It just never never yeah. happened to me. I like Trip. I loved Archer. Archer was great. To Paul mm-hmm. was okay. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember any of the other ones, <laughs> any of the other actors in that show. So that tells you how connected I was to them. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some too. <laughs> you know, like to to Paul and Trip and Archer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's have some facts about this. The original okay. title of the show was simply Enterprise. I don't know if you remember that. It didn't come with the prefix of Star Trek. Oh. Originally, it was just called Enterprise. Uh, this was they did uh, that initially to attract new viewers who might not be familiar with the franchise. Oh, so like 
don't tell them it's Star Trek <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, however, after low ratings in the first two seasons, the producers decided to add Star Trek back to the title for the third season. Uh, the, like, Wait, we need you, Trek fans. <laughs> Wait, it is Star Trek. <laughs> we promise. The theme song, which was completely different oh, yeah. from all other Star Treks. It was not this cool, spacey, orchestral this. thing. It was Where My Heart Will Take Me, performed by Russell Watson, a British singer who was known as The Voice in his country. Mm-hmm. The song was originally written by Diane Warren for the movie Patch Adams and was sung by Rod Stewart. Uh, This was the first Star Trek theme song to have lyrics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The show's main ship, the Enterprise NX-01, was designated by Doug Drexler, a designed, I said designated, designed by Doug Drexler, a veteran Star Trek artist who had worked on previous series and movies. He based his design on sketches by John Eaves, who had designed the Enterprise E for Star Trek First Contact. The NX-01 was meant to look like a precursor to the original Enterprise from the original series, but with a more rugged and industrial appearance. And I think they accomplished that. Mm -hmm. I like the way the NX-01 looked. Mm -hmm. Me too. The show's main characters were inspired by various historical figures and real-life people. For example, Captain Jonathan Archer was named after Jeffrey Hunter's character Christopher Pike uh, from the original named after? It says named after. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I think inspired by his <laughs> character, Christopher Pike from the original series, The Cage. He was also influenced by Charles Lindbergh, uh, the first person to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Commander Charles Tripp Tucker III was named after astronaut Charles Pete Conrad, who was the third person to walk on the moon. <laughs> Subcommander T'Pol was named after T'Pau a Vulcan leader from the original series episode Amok Time. She was also modeled after Catherine Zeta-Jones, who was considered for the role before Jolene Blalock was cast. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine (laughs) if Catherine Zeta-Jones took that role? Michael Scott would be a fan. Yes. (laughs) Starship Midnight. Uh, Controversial ending. All right. So let's talk about it. Yes. They decided to make the final episode of Enterprise an episode of The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. So it was set aboard Enterprise D. Mm-hmm. It was largely following Riker and Troy as they relived through the holodeck mm-hmm. elements from that show, which already that episode was a leap forward in time a couple years. Right? Right. Because it was, it was, it was, we were in the fourth year of them, of the show rather, uh, doing their normal business about in space, mm-hmm. nowhere near the end of their time. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly leap forward. Their time is over, uh, in space, like in XO ones being decommissioned or whatever. Right. Right. Archer's giving this big speech. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was just too, too much fast forward to me and, I would have felt better them just somehow, because I know they were building this big storyline and it got canceled, right? Like yeah, the show some, got canceled and they had some to big build up that scramble. Yeah, but I feel like they could have. I don't know. They could have even like just ignored that weird storyline and done a great episode with the characters and just let it go out, like a final nice episode or quickly resolved. The storyline that was obviously going to take a lot longer. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it, it <laughs> was, I liked it simply because 
it was a time not not the time jump but the time that it, like it's it was next generation people going back in time and examining familiar I liked, faces i liked talking. that aspect of it yeah I know most people, including you, did not. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm in the minority, and that's okay. <laughs> I didn't mind it. And I was kind of happy to see Riker. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I get it. It wasn't the ending everybody wanted. Yeah. But that is kind of the end of Star Trek TV for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, but the movie franchise continued. Tomorrow, we're going to take a look at all the Star Trek movies from the original motion picture with Kirk. Uh, and the crew to Picard taking the helm to a return to Kirk in the Kelvin timeline. Mm -hmm. But for today, our coffee is depleted and thus our show must come to a close. But before we go, let's get our verse of the day. Today's verse is Proverbs fourteen twenty three: In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. And with that, our Tuesday show is coming to a close. Thank you for joining us for Rise and Shine Nerds. We want to invite you to get behind the scenes by joining our LTN Discord community. Once you've joined at lovethynerd.com slash Discord, simply go to Channels and Roles and click on the Rise and Shine Nerds channel to gain access to it. You can help us plan shows and segments and even be on the show yourself on occasion. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or through the Love Thy Nerd YouTube channel so you don't miss an episode. And tell us what you think of the show via our socials at Rise and Shine LTN on Facebook and Twitter. Once again, I'm Radio Matt. I'm Daedra. And as always, a reminder. Jesus loves you, nerds. <laughs>